0: Well, if you're staying here, open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 11. We're going to hold off on Nehemiah series till next week. Lord willing, we'll come back to that. But I thought, first day of the year, we need, some, we need one of those like big picture messages. What's the tone we should have going into this new year? What should we be thinking about? What are the realities that ought to inform our day by day? <clears throat> so, chapters 11 and 12 of Isaiah is where we're going to go today, and it speaks directly to our hopes and our fears and our plans that we all have going into a new year. We enter 2023 in a range of different life situations, so for some of us, we're in a good place. Things are basically going kind of the way we want Um, And our plan is for that to continue and get even better, you know? So we have things that we want to accomplish in this year. We want to improve things, but they're already pretty good. Some of us, though, are in a hard place. And your aspirations are just to not stay down in a hole, to climb out of a hole, to uh, not despair, to survive, to get through another year. We're in all different places, but either way, wherever place we're in, we make plans, we set goals to get where we want to be. May I appeal to you this morning, no matter what your circumstances are, to consider making this your goal for 2023. Draw water from the wells of salvation. That phrase comes from Isaiah 12, 3, which says, With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. We're going to learn what that means this morning and how we can do it. Isaiah chapters 11 and 12 are all about that. Here's the situation before we read into which the Lord spoke these words. Sorry. Been having a dry throat for a long time. Hopefully I won't get in the way here. Here's the situation behind uh, Isaiah 11 and 12. It was more than a century before the people of Judah would go into exile. So that's what we've been reading about in Ezra and Nehemiah, is they're, going, uh, they're coming back from exile. Well, this is about 100 plus years before they went into exile. That's who Isaiah is speaking to here. The northern kingdom of Israel by this time is already under siege, if not conquered by Assyria, the big power to the east. The southern kingdom of Judah is under threat. It looks like they're going to be next. There might be an invasion. Think Ukraine last February before Russia invaded. That's the kind of tone, that's the environment of these people. And behind this threat of invasion from Assyria is this awareness, in their better moments at least, that they brought this on themselves. This is God's people. This is the nation of Israel dwindled down now to divided kingdoms who are rebellious against the Lord, who have had history, centuries of unfaithfulness to God. And so God sent them prophets to warn them and to expose their sin and to tell them that there are consequences. There is judgment for your rebellion against God. They're called in chapter 1, "Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity. The first five chapters of Isaiah are all a warning of judgment. But into that mixture of fear and guilt... The Lord spoke encouragement, and it's encouragement for all of us today also, because chapters 11 and 12 are a vision into the future, a vision of how the story of God's people would end and of all who put their trust in Him. It ends with them drawing water with joy from the wells of salvation. That's a thirst that's ultimately quenched by knowing Jesus Christ, who said in John 7, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. I've entitled this message, Draw Water from the Wells of Salvation. Let me give you a little demonstration. (laughs) Excellent. Let's hope that does it. This is God's invitation to us in 2023. Let's find out about it. We'll begin by reading all of chapters 11 and 12. It's only 22 verses, but this is God's very word. So let's take our time with it and hear from him, and then we'll pray. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The jealousy of Ephraim shall depart, and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim, but they shall swoop down on the shoulder of the Philistines in the west, and together they shall plunder the people of the east." They shall put out their hand against Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites shall obey them. And the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt and will wave his hand over the river with his scorching breath and strike it into seven channels, and he will lead people across in sandals. And there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people, as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. That is God's word. Let's pray. Give us eyes to see, Lord, these wells, hearts to receive it, a desire to drink, and fill us up with this joy. We need it because the joy of the Lord is our strength. We ask you to help us to go into 2023 expectant. Buoyed by this, held up by this truth that we just read. So open our hearts and minds to it now. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. The chapters that we have are divided into two themes. Chapter 11 is the description of the wells of salvation. That is to say, the content is what God discloses to us that has the power to refresh our souls like cold water on a hot day. Chapter 12, then, is the response of the person who draws water from these wells, and it's a response of joy. And that forms our outline for this morning. We're going to begin with chapter 11, the wells of salvation. Verse 1 begins with an announcement. So it's not just a promise that may or may not be kept. It's an announcement. God says, here's what's going to happen. Here's what I'm going to do, you faithless Israel, you worried people about what's going to happen with Assyria. Here's what I'm going to do. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. That's an agricultural illustration that they would be totally familiar with. They were farmers. We had an apple tree in our backyard once, and a late spring frost killed it. So I cut it down because it looked terrible, and the only thing left was a stump. Well, the next year, something grew out of that. Shoots came out. It looked dead. I thought it was dead. But shoots came out of it. It began to grow again. That's what God said he's going to do for his people, Israel. This once great nation that proceeded from Jesse, who was King David's father, was a stump. It was lifeless. Gone were the glory days under David and Solomon. Now they bore no fruit for God, they still had the city of Jerusalem. It still had this impressive temple. Temple hadn't been torn down yet, but their hearts were far away from God, and they were going to go into exile because of that. But the Lord says, "It won't stay that way. There shall come forth a shoot. Life is going to return. There's going to be revival." I'm going to do something to change your deadness. It will be a shoot from the stump. It will be a branch that bears fruit. It's an announcement that God is going to save his people from their lifelessness. He's going to restore the glory of what he intended for them to be and to experience. A people that thrive in relationship with their creator. There will again be glad worship of God authentic worship glad obedience there's going to be an experience of the multitude of his blessings but how is this going to happen well we learn in the next verse that the shoot is a person the spirit of the Lord shall be upon him it says the shoot is a hymn now who could that be Well, from the clues in the chapter, he's described in verse 1 as a shoot from the stump of Jesse. So he springs out of Jesse, he's a descendant. But verse 10 says he's the root of Jesse, which means Jesse comes from him. He's an ancestor. So how can one person be a shoot and a root at the same time? An ancestor and a descendant. Only if that person is the pre-existing God from whom Jesse comes, but also born in the flesh as a descendant of Jesse and David. Well, that's Jesus. Before Abraham was born, I am, he said. (laughs) Way before Jesse, even before Abraham, even before the world, I am the pre-existing God. But also, he was called the son of David. He did descend. Physically, humanly speaking. That's who we're talking about. Chapter 11 is about Jesus. The root and the shoot of Jesse. He is the one who came into the world to give life to lifeless people. And that includes us. Because we have to own up to this. Ephesians 2 tells us who we are in ourselves. Dead in our trespasses and sins. That's who we are naturally. But it also says in Ephesians 2 that those who trust in Jesus as Savior are made alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Life change, which includes affections for God, a desire to do His will, and the ability to do it. Hope. Comfort in God's promises to bless us. Motivation to bless others. The ability to be at peace even though the world is not at peace. Jesus came to make us alive in that way. That's how God created us. That's what he wants for us. Doesn't that sound like good news? That God would send us a shoot (laughs) to give life? Isn't that what we want in 2023 and every every other year? But it doesn't come from just planning. Like I have this planner thing, and I get emails from the people that sold it to me. And they're telling me that 74% of people make plans, but 92% of them don't follow through. So that's not a very good record, right? Like, even that tells you, you know, there's something wrong if we're the ones who are going to try and bring life to ourselves. (laughs) If it comes down to us and our planner, (laughs) we're going to need something more than that. And what we need is Jesus and the salvation that he brings because he's the key to everything. Lifeless Israel needs to hear, you're a stump, but I'm sending a shoot to bring life. So you haven't figured this out in all the centuries of your existence, so that's why I'm coming in to do what you can't do. I'm going to send Jesus to do it. And that's where you're going to find life. So let's talk about him. Let's get into the wells of salvation. Chapter 11 has two themes. One is a description of the person of Christ, and the other is a description of what he's going to do, what the salvation looks like. Lived out. Let's take those two things briefly. First, the person of Jesus. He's introduced in verse 2 this way. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So that means Jesus is endowed with the very Spirit of God. He possesses God's wisdom and understanding, God's counsel and might, God's knowledge, God's holiness. He walks in the fear of the Lord. That means he's he's continually aware of God's presence, continually submissive to God's presence, continually trusting in God's presence. He's holy. He is our access point to God himself. So Jesus is the game changer. The stump of Israel wasn't going to bear fruit without Jesus, and neither will we. Jesus said in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We need that life that flows from him. See, we know enough to realize, oops excuse me, I just flipped too far ahead, the mistake that we often make is to live as if that wasn't true, as if we can do life without Jesus. I mean, that's our default position. It's, it's, it's mine, except that God is changing that. But like our default position is to think, you know, I can do it on my own. I can figure out 2023. I know what's going on, and I've got a pathway to get through that. That's our default We might think, you know, my my life will be great if I can just have this one possession, this one thing that I want to buy, or this one relationship that that I really want to satisfy me, or this experience I haven't tried yet, or if I can just accomplish, actually, all those goals that I have, if I can be in the 8% that actually makes it, you know, then I'll be happy, or if I can just get the right person elected, then everything will be great. But that isn't true. Nothing can give us life, and no one can save us except Jesus Christ, on whom the Spirit of the Lord rests. That's because our biggest problem is not our circumstances. It's our hearts. And our hearts are naturally rebellious against our Creator God. We have this inclination to solve everything ourselves, not look to Him for our rescue. But we never get beyond the dead stump stage if we do that. But God is merciful. He takes people who are dead in the trespasses and sins and all the mess that we've made, and He brings life through Jesus, even eternal life. He is the resurrection and the life, and whoever believes in Him, though He die, yet shall He live, from John eleven twenty five. So that's the first thing we learn about Jesus. He's the game changer. Whatever we're looking for, whatever we want that next thing or experience to do for us, Jesus is where it is. He won't deny us all sorts of great things, but only as they flow from our satisfaction in Him. Here's more about Him, though, verses 3 and 4. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. I think it's very interesting that God chooses to highlight this aspect of Jesus to encourage guilt-ridden and fearful Judah. He introduces the reality of his righteous unbiased, completely accurate judgment. Now, I would think that would be bad news for Judah because they're actually guilty (laughs) of a lot of things. Uh, They were guilty of worshiping idols and not God. They had been handed everything they needed to thrive in life, and they just consumed it selfishly and without respect to him. And so, like, if you're just going to go based on evidence, you know, if you're going to have righteous judgment, like, then we're doomed, right? The end of our line is exile, and then who knows? And yet, this is presented here for their encouragement. This is part of the vision about why things are going to be good for you. So how can this be encouraging? Well, it says the Lord's judgment is not based merely on evidence that can be seen or heard. He will not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. That might sound strange to us, because after all, that's how our court system is supposed to work, right? We don't want a judge just saying, you know, I just don't feel good about you, so 30 years, you know. Well, we want we want the judges to be based on evidence, exhibit A, B, and C, and the testimony of witnesses. What we see, what we hear. That seems like the way things should be. And yet it says Jesus doesn't judge that way. Why is that? It's because Jesus has more information on which to render a verdict than just what we see or hear. He knows more than the fact that we have guilt. John explains it this way in 1 John 3.20. Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. You see, we know enough to realize we are guilty, but God knows more than that. He knows everything. He knows the evidence of Romans 8.34, that Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us God knows that Jesus is interceding for you if you're a believer in Christ God knows that Jesus bore your sins and bore your punishment on the cross satisfying his justice clearing the way for him to pardon you that's what God knows he knows the nail marks that are ever before him at the right hand of his throne. And those nil marks say, forgiven. Forgiven. That's his verdict for every believer today. Despite the ongoing presence of our sins that we can see and hear, Jesus saves us by his intercession, not by our attempts to live a righteous life. That's why he can say to people who looked righteous, depart from me, I never knew you, as he does in the Sermon on the Mount, because it's not about what you can see and hear. It's why he could also say to an unrighteous man, convicted of theft, crucified next to him, today you will be with me in paradise. It doesn't look right, does it? The righteous person, depart from me. The thief, you'll be with me in paradise. How can that happen? The evidence shows one's righteous, one's not. But God knows more than that. He knows why Jesus died on the cross. And it was to bear the guilt of all who had put their trust in him. And then he can righteously say, acquitted, pardoned, because justice has happened for you. Welcome. We need to know that, too. That's how we drink from this well of Jesus, by remembering those invisible truths beyond what we see and hear, beyond our circumstances. We've got to go back to chapter 11 and see something there that's as real as anything that exists and more. God sees it. We need to see it. And that leads to many blessings to be in right standing with God. So let's talk about the salvation that Jesus brings. That's what the rest of the chapter is about. We can't explore everything that's said there, but we'll pick out a few things that give us the overall scope of what Jesus came to bring. And it's nothing less than to usher in a transformed world, the world of our dreams. Verse 6 gives us one image. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and a little child shall lead them. Later on, we read also of a weaned child, maybe a three- or four-year-old, putting his hand on the den of an adder, which is a poisonous snake, and suffering no harm from it. Verse 9 speaks of a world where people shall not hurt or destroy because the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as waters cover the sea. These are all pictures of a transformed world. How much of it's to be taken literally and how much is just imagery is hard to know. But this is a picture of a world at peace, a world where there's safety, security, nothing to threaten you, nothing to fear. It's the world that John Lennon sang about many years ago when he imagined a world in which there was nothing to kill or die for, except that he imagined it also as a world with no religion, too. But this kind of world can't come except through Jesus Christ. Without him, it's impossible for it to be a reality. He came to make the vision of revelation our reality, a world where death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Will a wolf and a lamb actually live in peace together in that world? (laughs) Will the the wolf not eat the sheep? (laughs) You know, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, God created all the animals, right? And that was part of the very good creation, so why not? You know, that's hope for our, our, our willow to be there, our, our Bernese mountain dog. <laughs> There'd probably be animals there. But I doubt that Judah was worried about wolves and lambs when they were thinking about the possibility of a Syrian invasion. And this is supposed to encourage them in that moment. Probably It's imagery to communicate that there's a day when predatory enemies like Assyria will no longer devour God's people, God's flock. And that surely is what will happen. In the renewal that Jesus ushers in, there will never again be wars in the news. Sworn enemies will become allies and friends. All those who are reconciled to God through Christ and therefore also reconciled to one another on a more individual scale there'll be no nobody will be a target of local predators like scam artists who are taking your identity want to take your money predators who are stalking women or children that will all be gone they shall not hurt Or destroy in all my holy mountain. The new heaven and earth is described as a holy mountain. Every square inch of it is pure, it's completely devoid of evil. There's no one there to hurt one another. And the reason is because the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The transformed world is a God saturated world. It's a place where his healing mercy extends to everything and everyone. And we sing about it at Christmas and joy to the world. It's just so great that that gets sung at a mall. I mean, if people would know what's being said there. It says, what does it say? No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make His blessings flow far as the curse is found. How far is the curse found? (laughs) Every part of this world, every heart, every corner where there's some terrible thing to be discovered, everything that's been wrecked by human sin, that's how far His blessings are going to flow. So that you could look Everywhere, all the time, and never find anything wrong. Nothing to be sad about. That's a transformed world. And I think the more that you've suffered in this life, the more injustice that, and hurt that you've encountered, the more fearful things that you hear about, the better this world sounds. <laughs> You're not going to get this world here. Jesus has to bring this world. This has to be a complete recreation. But there are going to be foretastes, which we'll get to. But we long for it. When Jesus says at the end of Revelation, surely I am coming soon, the heart that loves Jesus is going to say what the end of Revelation says. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Come and transform this world and me. And if that's your desire, you're going to get what you wish for. Verse 10 identifies who will enjoy this transformed world. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Here's what that imagery means. A signal is a banner or a flag. It's a rallying point like the armies in our nation's civil war. So the Union and the Confederate armies carried flags into battle. If the flag bearer went down, somebody else would take it up because it was a visual symbol that brought them together, gave them courage, gave them direction. It reflected their identity. It reflected where their loyalties were, which side they were on. Jesus stands as our flag. As our rallying point. If you're on his side in this world. If you inquire of him. If you look to him to lead you in life. You will partake of his resting place. Which is glorious. You will go with him in his triumph. Into his transformed world. And Jesus himself will gather you in. Verse 12 says, He will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. And the chapter ends in verse 16 with this Exodus like imagery. There will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people, as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. It's this this picture of deliverance, uh, of being brought into the promised land from all these places where you don't belong. Jesus is going to do it. It's the gathering of people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation who trust in Christ. Jesus spoke of it in Mark 13. He will send out all the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Nobody on whom God sets his mercy will be lost. All will be gathered in. Every corner, every single one, wherever you are as a believer gathers you in, into his glorious resting place. Those are realities that God began to reveal to Judah while they lived in guilt and fear, while they thought their future was really bleak. The Lord told them about what they couldn't see, about the triumph of Christ and about the transformed world that he's going to give those who follow Christ. Those are the wells of salvation that we can drink from. That's what he wants us to be aware of and be encouraged by. So, going into 2023, whatever this year holds for us, we know that there's more going on than we can see in here. It's not a transformed world yet, but it is here in part. Because the transformation is not only that final revelation picture. It's happening now in the hearts of every person who is changed and made into a new creation through trust in Christ. It's begun in our hearts. Already that day has become. We're in the now and the not yet part of history. But the now is the love that we have for God and for neighbor. That is already part of the transformation your desire to see other people delivered from evil, your willingness to obey the Lord in whatever He commands, your trust in God that you can't see. That's all the down payment and the proof that Jesus is going to bring the transformed world. We're already beginning to experience it. These are the wells of salvation that never runs dry. And God invites us to draw water from those wells as often as we can. And that brings us to the response of chapter 12. If you trust chapter 11 to be true, then here's what's going to happen to you. You will draw water from the wells of salvation. You're going to be refreshed by it. God says in Isaiah 12.3 that in that day, in the day of Christ's triumph and transformation, which we're already beginning to experience, the response of those who really believe is, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. This is both an announcement and an invitation. God's announcing this in advance. He's describing the future you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he's announcing this is how your story ends. You drawing water endlessly from the wells of salvation with joy. I'm just, he said, I'm telling you that's your future, (laughs) which I think is so encouraging because day by day right now, we might think, I don't, I don't, I can't picture that. I mean, my life has got so many hard things in it, and I struggle with those things. I struggle with joy. I, I love the Psalms because they're always crying out to God, and that's, that's where I am. How long, O oh Lord? You know, and so we, we, we think, well, that's kind of just the way it's going to be. And but, but God is starting by saying, you know what? It won't always be that way. I'm telling you, you, with joy, are going to draw water from the wells of salvation, you're going to be happy, <laughs> and it's never going to end. So I just so he's like painting that picture. That's where you're going, believer. And it's going to be that that vision is going to be both a personal experience and a corporate one, which is what Chapter Twelve is telling us. Verses 1 and 2 tell us about the personal experience. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. In the original language, the word you is always singular in these two verses, as is the word my. This is a personal testimony of God's goodness in your life and of your trust in him. You will be joyful and thankful and fearless. It won't just be your parents it won't just be your discipleship group leader. It won't just be your Christian friend. You, this is you talking. (laughs) The Lord is my strength and my salvation. I will give thanks to you, O God. This is your personal testimony. The wonder of Jesus and his salvation will be your own experience, not just somebody else's but it will also be your corporate experience. You will do this together with other believers because in verses 3 and 4, the you switches from singular to the plural. So it becomes you all. And so we read verses 3 and 4 this way. With joy, you all will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you all will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. Your eternity will be in corporate enjoyment and corporate declaration of God's great name. You will draw water from the wells of salvation together. That's how you will live happily ever after. It will be with everyone else that Jesus rescues from their sin like he did for you. It will be an everlasting New Year's party (laughs) with Jesus. Not isolated existence that's just you and Jesus. In the revelation, John saw a multitude gathered around the throne. He didn't see a world full of monastic huts where everybody had their own little one in their own little heaven. It was a multitude gathered, singing. The future you will draw water from the wells of salvation with all the redeemed people of God. That's the announcement. But this is also an invitation. It's an invitation to draw water from the wells of salvation today. To drink deeply and often from Jesus and the salvation He brings. Because that day isn't just a day in the future. It's also today. For everyone who's put their trust in Christ. The day of drawing water from the wells began the day that you trusted in Christ, the day your sins were forgiven. Right now, you have access to the wells of comfort and wisdom and courage and strength and everything else that we need to get through life with joy until we come into the fullness later. But we need to draw from those wells. And that brings to the closing application that I mentioned at the beginning. As you go into 2023, most likely you will make plans, you will have goals, and that's fine. May I suggest that you put one goal at the top of your list? Draw water from the wells of salvation. Think about these things. Put it in your schedule. Just as zealously as you put in the dates of your vacation or the dates that I'm going to work at this project or whatever. Put it in there. Here's how you do it two things. One, make sure you're having a regular personal experience with the living Christ, make sure you have a testimony of his goodness. Make sure that you can say, Oh Lord, though you were angry with me, your anger turned away. And that's reality if your sins are forgiven. His anger turned away. And now He is for you. Fatherly love. Never forsake you. With you to the end. We need a personal experience with our God. And we don't get it by watching a lot of YouTube videos. (laughs) You know, they're entertaining. But they don't have Isaiah chapter 11 in them. And we need that to be joyful. We need to inquire. We need to seek him. Like Moses, show me your glory. And he will answer, and then you'll be able to say, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. So that's more than just a reading list, and I hope you read. I hope you have some way that you're going to get through the Bible. But, you know, it's not about checking off boxes and making sure that you got through the whole thing in a year or whatever. It's about encountering Christ, the living water. Knowing him, having a testimony, having having things bubble out of your soul. God is good. And I'm not saying that because it's nine o'clock on Sunday. It's just there. I just know it because I know him. But we don't know him if we don't go into his word. So there's a personal experience that we need to have. Second, and, and make sure that's on your schedule. I'm gonna read. <laughs> I'm going to go after him. Here's when I'm going to do it. Second, make sure you're having a regular corporate experience with the living Christ. You will all draw water from the wells of salvation together. Not just you individually, just you and Jesus, but you and the other people who are also drawing water from the same wells. And that means committing to the local church. Being part of it. Going to the meetings, talking together about the greatness of our God, encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day. Drawing near. It's from Hebrews 10.24. Your personal experience with the living Christ is made better by your corporate experience of the living Christ. We need both. Do you want to bring the future joys of heaven into your experience of 2023? (laughs) It's, It's just this. Spend time with the Lord in your personal devotions and spend time with God's people in the church. That's how we draw water from the wells of salvation and get joy. And they never run dry. May God help us (laughs) to go after it this year. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you that you took a period in history there where everything was wrecked and going downhill. And you injected this amazing vision, which now we already know is coming to pass 2,000 years ago, the shoot came. And life has been happening ever since then. And it's reached as far as us. And there are more people that it's going to reach until you've gathered in everybody that you wanted to gather to you, all of your people. And then the end will come. Then that day will be here fully. We just thank you for that hope. Help us, Lord, to just hang in there with each other, seeking you and being filled up by your living water. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.